Hey, welcome to Foolproof Theology. My name is Chase Davis, and I am your host. It's good to be with you here today. Hey, I just wanted to remind you I've got a link to my Patreon in my bio and on the show notes. So uh, head over there, join up on the Patreon. we got people joining up there, which is great. Love the support. I've got even people from my church signed up, uh, which is fun just because I get to talk to them in person about what kind of content they want to uh, to bring to bear on their lives on the podcast. And so um, if you want to interact with me on the Patreon, that's great. You can sign up there and interact, and that'd be a great way to connect. Uh, today's episode, we've got a guest who uh, I was actually a, a guest on his podcast called Ars Politica. I'd highly recommend it. It's uh, It's one that I like to listen to when I work out. Uh, it's great content, just talking about political philosophy and other cultural matters uh, related to Christianity. They have a great intro that's very, uh, um, I can't remember the, the the band that he's got there, but I love the band. And then they talk about restoring the dignity of like Western heritage. And I just think that's a wonderful way to intro. But, uh, but Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Stephen Wolf is a... Uh, postdoctoral, is that how it works, fellow at the James Madison Institute at Princeton University, is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I will be that for another 20 days. <laughs> I've been oh, doing no. that for the okay. last, uh, yeah, about 11 months, and I'll be finishing up uh, into this end of August. Okay, cool. And then do you know what's, what's coming next? Uh, now, I mean, you can see behind me those boxes. I, I just We just moved into a, uh, a house in central North Carolina. And uh, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna start calling myself the the country scholar. Um, country scholar. So I'll, yeah, I'll be teaching online uh, for for a couple colleges and also a high school course um, through Kepler um, about education. And so that's that's what I'm gonna do, and uh, you know, do a little bit of farming and that sort of thing. So that sounds great, man. Yeah. And then you got your degree in 2020 from LSU in political philosophy. Is that right? Yes. Okay, and and I have to ask because I went to Texas A and M. Did you develop a, a deep love for LSU, or was this just kind of like this is uh, my degree and I'm going to get out of here? What was that like for you? Uh, you know, I was never like a football, a college football guy, and and it was it was and having gone to West Point for undergrad, where football was something you were forced to love, mm. uh, or just sports in general, uh, even when the team yeah. was terrible. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, but going to LSU, I, I guess it was, it was, it was more about the fact that the program had conservatives, professors and, and a kind of a legacy of conservatism. So that's mainly why I was there. Um, I, I did come to, to enjoy some of the baseball, LSU baseball. Um, but I, I, the, the main love was just the, 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 uh, the people who were there in, in my department. That's so great. that, that's, that's, that's the main thing. And then at the James Madison Institute, we have something called the Benson Center up at uh, CU Boulder. And so uh, was the James Madison Institute kind of a conservative uh, group of people? Uh, I think it's led by uh, Robert somebody. I can't remember his name. Yeah, Robert that George. Led by? Yeah, Robert yeah. George. So the yeah, the James, Mad James Madison program, uh, I, I might have said institute in another somewhere accidentally, but uh, yeah, it's a James Madison program at Princeton University, and uh, it's... It's yeah. I don't think it doesn't kind of sell itself as conservative. It's more of a free speech kind of viewpoint diversity. But but generally gotcha. speaking, they the the network good people are people who are conservative and religious. So you'll have okay. uh, you know Roman Catholic, Protestants, um, people who are Jewish, and and so uh, yeah. And it, it's it's really nice because if if you're more I guess outspokenly conservative, uh, uh, 
it's a sort of place that uh, that offers great funding and and great um, uh, support and and friendships and collaboration um, for for people who are who just finished up their PhD. So it's a great program. They have great events. So if you're in the New Jersey, like you know, Central New Jersey, check it out. That's great. Well, the the main thing I wanted to get you on the uh, the podcast today uh, was to talk about this this concept of Christian nationalism and and kind of to set the stage. There's kind of a a debate you could say going on uh, a discourse where you've got people that are kind of landing in different ways. And recently, I saw people like Al Mohler, uh, Doug Wilson, uh, just own the term Christian nationalism. And then you've got on the other side, you've got lots of uh, you know people in e- higher ups in evangelicalism denouncing Christian nationalism. I'm hopefully, going to have a guest on uh, later this this year who uh, has specifically written a book against Christian nationalism. And so I want to at least hear his perspective and, uh, and get him on here. Um, but you have a book coming out with Canon Press that is on Christian nationalism. Is there a title for that book yet, Stephen? No, I, I, no, not yet. I don't want to say yet. That's but no, fine. there is not. Um, <laughs> it is on I, Christian I think, nationalism, I, though. I think, well, yeah. Uh, I, I th- yeah, it, it's a defense of Christian nationalism. I don't know if that'll be the subtitle or whatever, but yeah, that's that's the the topic. That's that's yeah. great. So what I wanted to get Stephen on here for is basically because I'm going to have a guest on later this year that's uh, basically against Christian nationalism. And if you wanted to go, uh, you know, pick up a, a good example of this would be like Paul Miller's uh, latest book. Um, and of course, they're what they want to try to do is repurpose the word patriotism. And say that's the good one that Christians can do that. Nationalism is wicked. I've seen I've seen people call it demonic, that kind of thing. And what I wanted to get Stephen on here to do is basically say, uh, give me the case for na- not necessarily nationalism, but Christian nationalism. So, uh, I guess let's start out with maybe a definition, if that would be helpful, Stephen. Okay. Uh, what, what? How would you describe Christian nationalism? Yeah. Well, because I'm an academic, let me talk about definitions first yeah. <laughs> in general. Uh, it, when when people are trying to find Christian nationalism, you see mainly from wonder, well, you see, if, if they if they have good faith and they're trying to, de- to actually describe something in the world, that, that's a kind of approaching it from the bottom up, as in they're, they're saying there's some phenomenon in the world that's occurring and there's these people who believe these things. So... I, you know, and they say, I want to capture these people and those people under this term. So it's mm-hmm. like the, in other words, it's like the extension of the term. It extends or applies to this group of people. Yeah. And that that's a fair way to do it. I mean, social scientists do that sort of thing all the time. So there's nothing wrong with that in itself. Uh, and so a lot of times people, they, they, they're also trying to use the term with connotations that are very negative. So they assume from right. the outset, this is bad. And they, they're then their intent is clearly to um, describe something in such a way that it makes certain people, usually their political enemies, look bad. Yeah. So, like, you uh, can see this with the term, like, evangelical, even uh, becoming a, yeah. a more social science political term that's typically trying to, you know, disparage certain beliefs and certain people within the nation. Would that be a fair kind of analogy? Yeah. Yeah. So, because it's sad. Yeah. It, among a certain crowd, mainly people on the center or on the left or kind of moderates in the left, the word nationalism sounds bad. And then you add Christian to it. And it sounds like, well, you're, you're trying to throw us back into medieval times or, sure. or whatever. 
So uh, whatever it is, it sounds to them like a combination of Nazism and uh, like something that violates the, our founding principles. Right. Uh, and yeah, and that, and that's, and that's more the, the, uh, the, the, the negative approach to it. And I think, so what, what I try to do in, in, in my book is I try to take the, take the words Christian nationalism and kind of denote what those, what those mean. So I, I start as at more of, uh, more, I guess you could say the theoretical level, instead of going down and finding cases like, sure. okay, here's this guy believes this guy believes let's call them. It's more like what, what, okay. It's the, the term is Christian nationalism. So this combines kind of a set of words. Obviously there's nation in there mm-hmm. and there's nationalism. Then there's Christian nationalism. It seems also imply Christian nation. So what are all the, what are all those terms mean? And so I kind of walk through what I, uh, you know, affirm about what, what those words mean. Mm-hmm. And I start with nation and then I say, okay, uh, what, what, com- what composes, what makes a nation, what's the ism of nationalism. So you have this nation nationalism. What does that ism really refer to? Uh, at least as I understand it. Uh, and then what is, how does Christianity or the Christian nationals, how does Christian modify the word nationalism? Um, and I think I, I have a more complex definition in the book that I, that probably wouldn't suit well for this format, but <laughs> I think to just put it, I think to put it uh, concisely, it's basically it's a Christian nation acting for itself, uh, you know, self-conscious, you know, conscious of itself as Christian, as a Christian people, and they act for their earthly and heavenly good. Mm. Okay, so it's it's a it's, so think of like a people in terms of a nation. They self-identify as a people. Uh, and but they're Christian, so they identify as a Christian people, and we can talk about what that means as well. And but then the ism refers to you, you can almost think of it as like a the program that's not really precise enough, the the national program of sorts to bring about your your national good, which includes your your heavenly good, right? Uh, you know, or, or, or grace. Uh, it includes a sort of di- di- directing the nation to heavenly life, not as a nation, but as individuals. That's you know, but. But th- th- that's the idea. And so I, I think that that definition, I think, is even though people think, well, I thought nationalism has something to do with fascism and all that. Yeah. Uh, and I think people will be surprised. There's plenty of stuff they won't like about the book, but I think they I think they'll be surprised that my definition probably like people think of nationalism. They think of like 19th century is a development 19th century. It resulted from maybe like the French Revolution and other things. Um, and some people wanted to like, uh, uh, Yarm Hazoni wants to take it back to like the, the, the 15th century and all that. Hmm. Um, but, but the, but really my, my definitions would, would actually extend out through much of history. Okay. And, and I, yeah. So in, in that sense, I don't think it's, uh, it would be too controversial in itself, uh, or people it's not, it's, I'd say it's more ahistorical, meaning that it's not located from a certain century, <clears throat> It's actually extremely common uh, human way of organizing organizing themselves. Yeah, and part of the reason minus is- the Christian part, but yeah, but the nationalism itself is something very common for people to kind of organize themselves and act for themselves. For sure, but I think part of the reason it's so controversial is it's getting a lot of heat uh, from the press. You know, kind of major publications are are publishing pieces to signal to just normal people. Hey, this is a term that's bad. You don't want to be associated with it. And then they try to like, 
yeah. painted onto certain groups and associate certain figures with it. And so I think part of the reason I wanted to have you on is, uh, you know, I, I don't know that, <clears throat> like I listened to Aaron Wren's podcast yesterday on, I think he talked about nationalism. Uh, he talked about basically the term being, uh, you know, kind of nascent in the 20th century. And, you know, is it, is it useful? It's a useful game to play because you're, it, it helps like, uh, build alliances and like, because certain groups, New York times and such are using it almost as a slander or a curse. Uh, the, the, of course the, the, there's people that will want to go, well, fine, that is what we are, you know? And that's, that's kind of the attitude, which I totally get that. Like that's an interesting game to play in kind of the culture we're in. Um, but you're suggesting that this, like what you're trying to do is re repackage the term or, or maybe not repackage. You're just trying to come up with a definition that's more, Hey, like these are common principles that nations and peoples have always had. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly. But, but I should say that I, I do think that places like the New York times and Washington post should be afraid of Christian nationalism, <laughs> um, because it does directly oppose them. So I'm not trying to please them. I'm not trying to say, Oh no, it's really not that bad. No, for them, it is bad. I mean, I'll say right. that straight up. It, it directly opposes their ideology. Um, but so, I mean, the, I, I understand it's understandable why publications like that and people who align on that, that side of things would be concerned with it. And I, I think Christians should say, yeah, you should be concerned. I mean, I, I not as like a, th a threat right. of, you know, violence or whatever, but as, yeah, I mean, if, if we win, this is what we're going to do. And so they should be concerned if they don't like that, even though it is good. I mean, to, to us, it, it is actually good. We're not, we're not asserting some kind of, uh, you know, like situational, like, you know, it, it's what we're asserting. This is, is universally good, but yeah, to them, it would be bad. So they are right to react in that way. Uh, but, 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 uh, I mean, my argument is that this is common throughout history. Uh, that is, that is the sort of nationalism I'm de defining as, as I define it. Um, and the Christian nationalism is, is just ordering your nation, um, in light of the gospel. So it doesn't eliminate many of the, the, uh, I mean, all nations are going to be different, distinct according to certain cultural practices that are not distinctively Christian, you know, like language. So you'll have this nation will have that language another nation will have another language, some, you know, different dialects. Uh, those things are not distinctively Christian. There's no Christian language, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, but, uh, that, but, but these, but these nations can, you know, like retain their, their language of English or Spanish or whatever, but they can still be Christian and Christian meaning, I think principally that they support the church, uh, not necessarily have an established church, like in, like in England, but have some kind of, uh, support for true religion as it's found in various assemblies, mm -hmm. um, and denominations and. Uh, that that's the principle. And, but also I think the people themselves will look at each other just in a social way as on the streets and, uh, and as, as a community, as a people, as fellow Christians as well. So there'd be kind of social, there'd be social aspects, social custom, uh, social expectations that are separate from law, civil law and, you know, the magistracy, but, but still support a Christian people in the institutions. Would that include the exclusion of, and I think this is where kind of the tension starts to hit. Would it, would it include the exclusion of certain benefits for certain religious groups? It doesn't necessarily have to. Okay. 
Um, in principle, it could, meaning that it's poss- It's not wrong in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, th- this is it's complex. I don't want people to kind of misunderstand. Sure, because I, uh, it, you, you can have a a tradition like in the American tradition since before and after the founding was to extend a lot of toleration. So I think, I think Christian America was a, a Christian nation as a nation, as a people, at least I, I think the constitution should had, should have had something to more to say about God. But, sure. but I think as a people, as a nation it was Christian and, and we've understood ourselves as such uh, for a long time until recently. Uh, but at the same time, there was toleration for, you know, like for Jews, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, there, and at times there was kind of suppression of Roman Catholicism but in general, like I think you could say that the the tradition is one of toleration. Uh, now, how that plays itself out in every context is, in every every set of circumstances, will will kind of differ. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, like for example, like a public school can be a Christian public school, and they can have like a Christmas play or something like mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, around Christmas time, and. They, I, I think it'd be wrong to force anyone to participate, mm-hmm. but I, I don't, I do not think it would be wrong for them to deny other religious groups the right to do their own plays on, on public support. Sure. Now that, that's kind of, so I'm saying it's not wrong in itself. Now they could, because we we're ha- we have to live in peace with our fellow man and we have to, um, and yeah. And, and so sometimes by acting against people we disagree with or think that it's actually destructive for us and themselves, we actually cause a greater problem in our action. So if we're aiming at some end, sometimes we, we have to, we have to tolerate or even extend uh, full Liberty um, in order to achieve the end we're, we're, we're seeking after. But I, I think my, my point of probably the most controversial one is I don't think it's wrong in principle to do that, those sorts of exclusions. Yeah. And I, you know, the irony is when I was overseas as a missionary, um, I was in an Islamic country, a Muslim country, and they all perceived America as a Christian nation. And I, I, I was very against that just as a defense mechanism because I was like, well, that's not true. I mean, these aren't real Christians. They would associate Britney Spears and all these pop stars as Christians. And I was like, they're not, that's not Christianity. But now 10 years later, I'm going, okay. So like we, as Americans typically look at Saudi Arabia and they're kind of like dominant uh, Muslim hegemony uh, and how you're not allowed to like do certain things there. But none of us are going over there to say we should start a war with them because that's against the liberal order. We allow them to live out their convictions in their political system. Um, And we view that as almost acceptable for them. But then there's a double standard applied to ourselves, where we say, if we were to suggest such a project, well, that would be wrong, based on some kind of principles of a, a you know, a modern liberal order. Um, and that's that that was kind of a yeah. huge disconnect I had at least 10 years ago. Yeah, so when I was in the, the army, uh, I, I, I did this officer training, that was a, a kind of extended training, three or four months training. And there, there were two Saudi Arabian officers, um, you know, they're Saudi Arabian citizens and, and they, they were there for their training. And after they finished, they would come, they would go back to Saudi Arabia. 
at the end of it, the last day, I brought them, I brought each of them in a Bible in Arabic. And the younger guy, he looked appreciative and he was nice and friendly. He was kind of a, a guy, sort of guy I, I expect is is driving convertibles around you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, right now. He's, he seemed like that kind of guy. Um, and the, the other guy was older and he I handed it to him, he touched it and he acted almost as if it was like a hot potato. I don't know. What to, it, it, that was yeah, like right. sacrilegious for me to even touch it. Yeah. And he was kind of offended by it. They didn't do anything. I never saw him again. And I never got death threats from him. But um, but they, they took them and they didn't give them back. Uh, but I, I was chastised by this this uh, female American officer for doing that, and and she was very she was very offended on their behalf that I that I would do that and offend them. Mm. So it just kind of shows that there is this this kind of bizarre double standard that that no no place in America is allowed to have anything other than this very modern liberal secularist approach to right. things that we are, that we're foolish if we, if we believe that some things are sacrilegious and profane and shouldn't be done in certain contexts, but, um, and we believe in more hierarchical or traditional norms. Um, and yet here, here she's just utterly offended aghast that I would hand them a, a book. That's, that's probably, um, well, I'd say abused to let her, well, anyway, uh, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, I mean, there's, there's clear double standards that happen in, today, and it's 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 pretty bizarre if you think about it. And I mean, you could I don't like throwing the term, but it's almost it's it's almost slightly like racist. It's a sense that like as white people, we ought to have these certain like we ought to be liberal, and they yeah. are superior, and yet at the same time, we we shouldn't do anything that offends the the non-liberal customs of of outsiders. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I, uh, I actually listened to Joe Rogan on this and he talked about how, uh, the joke, it was a joke. Of course he, he was doing sketch comedy and the joke was on, you know, if we go find a tribe in the wilderness and they're not white, then it's like, you got to leave them alone. Like let, they're allowed to kill us if we interfere with them. And that's totally fine. Uh, but if you go find like this, he described it as like this wild band of white people in Washington, and they've never <laughs> been discovered before, how we would want to uh, bring them into the liberal order, and we yeah. would want to civilize them. Uh, and and it, it was just, a, he highlighted this duplicity, this attitude that we have that is subtly racist, uh, which is really ironic considering the accusations, uh, you know, forwarded the other way. Um yeah, One whereas question. conservatives and, and the right, I mean, we—I don't want to live like, like Saudi Arabia. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like Iraq. Right. Trust me, I don't want to live anything like that or, or Afghanistan. I don't want to be a jihadist. Right. Um, I, I kind of like the American way of life. Yeah. Uh, there's there are uh, there are aspects to it that need to be corrected, and and the the things that the, the people who. Um, want to somehow love, love, you know, they somehow, yeah, like, like the sort of the, the woman who chastised me for giving Bibles to Saudi Arabians, what, what she believes I'd like to, you know, destroy in the United States, but, but I, but I like the, the, the American way of life. And, mm. um, but at the same time, these people don't, they're, they want to in, enforce really insane notions upon us. And I think as, as Christians, we should want a, an American Christian nation that is distinct, that is truly American and truly Christian. 
uh, and we we seek to preserve and conserve, you know, to establish and then conserve that. Yeah, and I think that's where you start to run into the tension. And I want to I want to hear your perspective on this in just a second. But the the tensions a lot of people feel with the term it seems around the historicity of America as a Christian nation. So that's one argument that needs to be made uh, because typically it's an argument that's held in high derision. You know, it, it uh, at least among my pastor friends and. And other people, as soon as you start trying to talk about America being a Christian nation, oh, you know, Hamilton and Jefferson and blah, blah, blah. So, like, that's one argument that that I don't really, I mean, if you want to talk about it, we can. But the the other one is, like, giving a vision for Christians or people of what, what would it be like if a nation were to embody such a society or if a people were to own their kind of, not just their history, but, okay, not only is the history, uh, it's a, it's relevant, but what would it look like moving forward? Just accept the fact that you are a Christian. You want good for your neighbor. What would be good for your neighbor for them to live in a Christian world? And so we should want to further a Christian world, the kingdom of God. We pray that, and we should live that out. Um, and this runs headlong into a different vision. So why, when you say the New York times, Washington post, these kind of institutions, they feel threatened or, or whatever. Why, why is it that they feel threatened by this concept? Well, I mean, I, well, it's, it just directly opposes the many of the things that they believe. So the, for me, the obvious thing would be the sexual norms are threatened. Uh, it, it also, it, it violates what they perceive to be uh, the requirement for neutrality like moral neutrality between different between different groups. Mm. Of course that's completely bogus. They 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 use they use neutrality to actually push their own their own ideology, their heavily moralized ideology. Uh and so I that yeah, and also it just cuts them completely from power. I mean, in a Christian nation Generally speaking, the people who are powerful would be expected to be Christian, at least in name, or at least nominally, or at least they would publicly um, support that nation as Christian. Right. And since they um, are not Christian and do not want to act as if they are and do not want to uh, contribute to that sort of project, it's, it threatens their, their power. Mm. So I, I think that's, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons. I mean, going back, if I may, to, to like the... America is a, a Christian nation. Yeah. I mean, th this could be a whole podcast on itself, but right. what, what's odd about that discussion is one, one it's usually full of people, full of ignorance. Uh, and I, I say that not because I disagree, but because I just think it's just straight up ignorance. Um, that even, even someone like John fee, who's kind of a, I don't want to call him liberal. I think politically he's pretty liberal. I don't know theologically where he's at, but he's a historian and he writes on these things. He, he's just straight up said like, 19th century Americans all basically all affirmed that they were Christian. Right. I mean, uh, that, that the Christian nation and th this is, and, and in some ways the early, the late 19th and early 20th century disputes between kind of progressives and, and the different Christian factions of the time, it was a dispute over, well, what sort of Christian nation are we going to become? So mm -hmm. the more social gospel types are like America's a Christian nation. Well, we ought to live like it. So here's a social gospel. Mm -hmm. So it was, and then, and then the like post-World War II, uh, um, with the Eisenhower administration, the, these were really real, like concerted efforts. In that sense, it was more political to kind of shore up uh, the Christian 
America is a Christian nation. But before that, I mean, it was just it was just understood. And I think you're the uh, the, the the folks that you met in I, I forget what country you said um, they the, them saying that the United States is a Christian nation or Americans are Christians is in one sense true because as, to anyone who's not who, who doesn't have some sort of political um, issue with that they're just going to affirm that because historically it has been yeah. uh, and uh, and and the founding itself that's probably a different discussion but I, I think that, that it's, uh, it's just the dis, the dismissive attitude to saying that's Christian nation is just usually done out of a sort of ignorance. Yeah. Um, but I, I think also that, that we, that the next thing is that the, there is a sort of thing called the post, what I would call like the post work. And I, well, I didn't call it this Aaron, uh, not Aaron, Ren, um, Rusty Reno calls it, uh, the kind of this post work consensus. Okay. So after world war two, there was kind of agreement among intellectuals in America and Europe that we can't ever have world war two happen again. Mm. And so it, it, it said, you know, politics needs to be as non-dogmatic as possible. Mm. It should be multicultural. We should not have what, uh, what Reno calls the, like the strong gods of, of, of kind of a robust conception of what is good, Mm. uh, not only along strictly natural moral lines, but also customs and, and the sense of us, like that we can't have a strong sense of us. Right. And I think people, Christians nowadays blindingly are kind of enmeshed in that, that understanding, which is fairly new. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's very new. And before world war II, uh, it was far more common for people to say, well, this is what we are and this is what we ought to be and remain. Yeah. Um, of course, correct what's bad. And, and Christians were Christians historically. I mean, just that you think of the, Story history of the church, not even Protestant, but you know, prior to Protestantism, the predominant tradition is of a polity, of a civil polity, of a people um, affirming that they're Christian and then acting accordingly through their civil institutions to that end. Right. And that's largely what I mean, really, that's largely what I mean by Christian nationalism. And I, so I think that we are our spirit. To, to see Christianity established and sustained is just been deadened by being the, just the last several decades of, of, of thinking that we, we can't be assertive in this, in this way. And this, this really has surfaced clearly in conservatism because cons- the conservative mindset for decades has been, all right, you're a little strange, but we'll just leave each other alone. Sure. And you just leave me alone mm-hmm. here. We have these freedoms and I have religious liberty. You can go be goofy and weird in San Francisco and Greenwich Village. Do what you do. What you got to do. It's weird to me, um, but uh, don't move in next door. That could, don't yeah. don't uh, don't read to my children in libraries. Yeah. So that there was there was that sense of okay, there's always going to be some oddballs. But now we're seeing that that's not enough, and they're actually the, the liberals and the left are asserting their own moral ideology and we, and they're not going to leave us alone. No, they're not. And, and they're- so we've, we've been set up by, I think just like post-war conservatism to be exactly that, to kind of accept liberalism in a, in a, in its very basic form, we call it classical liberalism or whatever, neoclassical. Yeah. Uh, but then it set us up to actually um, not have this, you know, this stop, like declaration, stop. This is, this is enough. Yep. You know, it, 
I think that's it's, important to point out because um, kind of the general attitude of most conservatives some, seems to be, you know, the the, the Gadsden flag don't don't uh, don't tread on me, which isn't a sufficient political or even moral vision for that. And it was it seemed to be good enough until the ideologues really took over kind of uh, media and entertainment and public education. And now all of a sudden, I think of the, di the, the dichotomy I think of is between College Station, Texas and Austin. So Austin has the Keep Austin Weird shirts, or at least they used to. And it used to be okay because you had that kind of truce. Y'all do your weird thing there, but here we're going to do our own thing here and we're our own people. Well, they're not content to stay there. They, they insist... Now, based on a lot of different reasons, I would say it's almost a primal instinct to replicate, to dominate, and to reproduce because they're not going to because they believe in abortion and all these kind of things. They have a desire to to proliferate their ide ideas. You're not just going to keep yeah. your ideas in one spot. And so I think what you're suggesting and the kind of disposition that maybe you're, you're provoking, not, in a, not to be a provocateur, but what if instead of Christians having this attitude of, yeah, keep Austin weird, that's fine. In fact, it's kind of cool. What if we made shirts or adopted slogans like make Austin Christian, you know, which which <laughs> is what any church planner would would want. We would want our city to be filled with Christians. And yet they seem so scared of that kind of like approach because they want to go into the city and kind of be learners and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, we want, like, I want Boulder to be more Christian. Like why, why is that? Why should I apologize for that? Yeah. I mean, I, on our podcast, Thomas and I, Thomas Acord is my co-host. Uh, we sometimes would just like, when you talk about these issues, it's like, do you, wouldn't you, you know, even if they're nominal Christians, wouldn't you want those people to be your neighbors? I mean, wouldn't, when you have kids, I, I just wonder, I wonder if like childlessness in the church, how much that's going to affect this. Because when you have kids, I mean, I can, yeah, I mean, if, if you got, you got some people next door and they're, they're, they don't agree with them, I mean, that's fine. But, but if you have kids and then they have kids, like we're, we're just, we just move to a new place and we're kind of like, well, there's some people back there uh, and they have kids similar to our kids age, but then you walk up and the kids got purple hair. Just, yeah. I, so, I mean, and, and, and maybe the kid likes purple hair. There's nothing wrong sure. with it, but it's still, it's one of those indicators yes. that you want to just like, Hmm, I got to ask more questions exactly. because you don't, if my kid goes over there, I, I, I don't know. But it, it, it also used to be the case. When, like when I grew up, I remember having friends and now, now he's a goofy liberal, but he was, he was a good friend of mine and his mom was very liberal, but that never came up. Like politics wasn't a thing. Right. He and I just liked football and watched, you know, San Francisco giants baseball. That, that's what we did. Yeah. Um, but nowadays if I sent my kid over there, I don't know what sort of thing that they, they get caught up in or not get caught up, but influence in. So yeah, I know what you mean. Everything's kind of, so wh why wouldn't you want to live in a country or a neighborhood? That's people who are, are Christian in some capacity, you know, uh, and that just seems ideal, but, but everyone's really afraid to. To, to, for that sort of thing to happen. Yeah. Uh, they're afraid that, yeah, I mean, they're, they're afraid that that makes Christianity look like it's a, because I mean, things are required for this. There's social expectations, which requires a certain force to them, certain, you know, side glance. Mm -hmm. there, there's, there's exclusion that's required. Maybe uh, 
exclusion with with a lot of manners, sure. but nevertheless, it's a clear exclusion. Right. Uh, there might be some distrust towards people who are then different. Right. And those things are something we'd have to actually accept. There'd be kind of out, there'd be outsiders. But I think that to that to that norm. I think that right? what you're so, suggesting so though, people don't want that. Is that uh, that's an or at least what I'm saying is that's inevitable. Like if you move to a secular context, right? People are going to exclude others and give side glances. And the kind of liberal facade of we're tolerant, everyone knows it's a farce. Every, like you move to a secular city and you know that's not true. And so I guess what what makes Christians so uncomfortable is they've been sold kind of this vision of, you know, tolerance and acceptance and the idea of becoming an exclusive people, you know, or a people that is willing to uh, to center themselves in the conversation. Uh, and, and that's a strategic, uh, an evangelistic tactic we're trying to inculcate in Boulder, for example, is when people suggest certain ideas, uh, you just blatantly say the opposite, if that's what's true of you. I mean, you don't have to be just provocative, but like you just blatantly assume the opposite. And then you say, uh, isn't it great to live in a great place that's so tolerant of different viewpoints? And then you, you hand them a beer and you move on with your life. But instead, a lot of Christians, based on a relational evangelism and these kind of approaches, they're used to like, oh gosh, that's like the exact opposite of what I believe. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to be quiet about it. And instead, what we're trying to suggest is like, no, like they're obviously trying to exclude you. They're trying to set a normal discourse of this is what's acceptable here. And unless you kind of find a backbone and just say, yeah, I believe differently in that. That's pretty cool that we can get along, huh? And you just, you center that and you try to, uh, not poke the bear to poke the bear, but you're disorienting and exposing their own hypocrisy in it. Yeah. I mean, as, yeah, as a, I mean, that's, that's like an evangelistic method when you're kind of the minority, when you're not, when you're, you yourself are the outsiders. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's privilege. I mean, you can see from the early church, he's the, you can see the, the church fathers basically mocking and, <laughs> The, the paganism that yeah. there's a funny part in city of God, I forget which book it is. He goes on, uh, Augustine goes on for pages and pages on making fun of how many gods the Romans yeah. have. And he's like, there's a God of the toe. And well, if there's the, you also have fingers. So it's, there's gonna be a God of the finger. It's just, uh, yeah, just and, like just Augustine just mocking and kind of showing how it's ridiculous. And, uh, and that can be done well or poorly, of course, but I'm just saying that yeah, you can have that more confrontational. No, you're just, you're wrong and it, it, yeah. hypocritical. Uh, but I mean, my, my vision for Christian nationalism is that that sort of evangelism wouldn't have to occur Sure, because you have, because it's like, you know, so today in our, in our world to, to accept homosexual marriage, for example, is, is easily accepted, uh, because people are, are in a sense, socially engineered to, to accept it. Yep. And it's, it's not only socially costly to reject it. It's also, I'd say for most people kind of psychologically, um, uh, difficult and costly because yeah. you, because it, it's, it, it goes against basically your own inclinations, which is to affirm these people, uh, and so yeah. in, in their relationships and and I don't think that in itself is wrong, meaning that you have inclinations towards certain things that are sure. part of so social, 
custom and you could say engineering of, of sorts that there, there should be there should be in society an expectation that you will be Christian. And what what this does, I, I know people then say, well, there's this is just opens up every uh, doors for hypocrisy, uh, which of course it yeah. does. It does actually. Um, but it also what what it does, it, it inclines you towards Christian beliefs as well. It inclines you to, in other words, it it, uh, it establishes the establishes the plausibility of of Christian of Christian truth uh, of assent to Christian truth. Hmm. And it makes it, it would make it kind of psychologically challenging for you to reject it. In fact, you'd have to feel like an outsider and against the norm and all that. Right. And of course, I, I think that, that that's not to say that that social, uh, that this sort of social force will bring, will make you a Christian in the same way that, that um, uh, civil power, like a magistrate cannot command you to believe and in, in to put faith in Christ. But it will. It does at least um, make that first step in conversion more natural to you and plausible. That is the ascent to Christian truth. Because as as good Protestants, you know, we know that you have to ascent to truth, and you have to then. And but in order to actually, in order to to be saved, you have to place your faith, the actual faith in Christ. You know, the, like so, faith and ascent to truth are, are somewhat separate things. So. So I, my point is that, 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 that all this will Christian nationals, I understand, will then lead people to the ascent, and then it also brings the the word of God within within the family, within society, and it encourages church attendance, and that's where people receive um, uh, the kind of the preaching of the word of God for for faith. Yeah. So, so but I, I mean, you know, on, on hypocrisy, I'm sorry, but I, like I said, like for hypocrisy, hypocrisy is going to happen um, because you're going to have people who just kind of claim to believe who don't. But I think the thing is that's actually one that's good for society generally that, that it's, 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 it's not good for the person as in terms of their soul, right. but it's good for society. And, it, and busy, even someone who is not a Christian in heart, but Christian outwardly outwardly can still contribute to the actual, the salvation of people who are um, to inwardly. So a society like that is actually better. Uh, and so, but the, in the role of, of, of hip the, the role of the, of the word of God is in society, family, and church is to convert souls. Um, whereas the role of kind of civil order in society is to order that outwardly, um, for, for those things. That makes sense. And I think that's the biggest fear, you know, a lot of people have with nationalism, Christian nationalism is the one thing I hear is, you know, cultural Christianity is the worst. Nominal Christianity is the worst. And I always try to, uh, whenever I'm in conversation with people that, that are really aggravated by that vision, that nominalism or hypocrisy could increase. I'm like, well, what do you think was going to happen, man? If your, your evangelism actually works. Like if, yeah. if you, your prayers for your city actually work and more people become Christians by, by proportionality, nominalism will increase. You will only increase nominalism if you're actually effective. And, and of course you can't, it's not just on you, God saves souls. So it's not, it's not suggesting that that's in our hands, but it is to suggest you have not thought through the consequences of your own actions and what that will result in, because that's inevitable. Like the, it is inevitable if we want to reach people 
that there will be people who come in who are not really Christians or maybe hypocritical or whatever it is. Um, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. I, Thomas, my co-host and friend, he, he likes to say, well, what happens if you're, if you succeed, you know, what happens right, if, yeah. if there is a revival, what do you do now? <clears throat> yep. Uh, because we, we have this frame that we approach everything from the frame of perpetual outsider. And, yep. and all of a sudden, well, what if like the king or the civil leader who has certain powers, what if he, what happens if he does listen and he does convert to Christ now, now what? Yeah. Uh, and no one, and then, I mean, usually people resort to saying that just some sort of liberal line of, well, he should still. What you're just talking about is why, why would you not want that? You know, why would you not want to succeed? Um, is that what you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Well, not only that, just, uh, just that, um, yeah, if you're successful, why, why wouldn't, well, what are you going to do now? You know, if, if, yeah. if you're in a town that's, that's mainly Christian, are you seriously not going to have or organize your town around Christian things? I mean, yeah. and support that uh, it's, it's, I guess the people could, could, uh, of course, some people could bring principles to why you shouldn't do that. But, yeah. but again, it's, it, you have to wonder what, why, why you would resort back to this kind of liberal neutrality when the majority of you are outwardly Christian. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of wanted to close out talking about masculine discourse. Um, this is something you've written on. In fact, my joke, uh, in my head at least is I hope I never cross swords on Twitter with Stephen Wolf. Um, <laughs> And inevitably, I think I will. I'm sure there's some, going to be something. It will probably be like pedo baptism and covenant theology and how my uh, Baptist inclinations are inconsistent with, uh, you know, a vision for a Christian nation. But uh, I notice when you engage with people, it's very plain and direct. And you've written on uh, masculine discourse and feminine discourse in Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to kind of just kind of drop some... some uh, I don't know, help people kind of see what you're talking about there. When you talk about feminine discourse and how a lot of discourse has been feminized, what are you describing there? Yeah. So when I, when I think of, when I think of masculine discourse, I think of two, just let's, I mean, I guess as a sort of example, it'd be two guys who are analytically and systematically, you could say duking it out verbally, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're fighting over something. And, uh, it, it can be, it doesn't have to be, I guess, I guess it could be get personal, but, 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 uh, it's, it's, and there can be an audience. So people are watching you and, and you obviously want the audience to win and, and or you, you want to win over the audience. Right. Yeah. Cause oftentimes when you talk, you're debating a guy, you, 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 you can assume that, that your interlocutor is not going to change his mind, but there might be those handful of people observing who will. Right. And so that's often what you're, what you're getting for. But this, you know, that that's true for any, for whether it's women or men, but, uh, but in, in masculine discourse, it's more of, uh, I, it's more of you versus him in, in the conversation. And the idea is that the force of your argumentation will achieve the end of, of persuasion or bringing someone else to, yeah. So it's, it's, it's more of you versus him mm. and that's it. Even though the, the audience is around you, uh, it may not be fair to say that's masculine discourse. It may just sure. be better to say that men tend to draw, are drawn towards that type of discourse. 
That makes sense. Whereas, and certainly women can do that as well. I don't want to say they don't, but, but there is, I'd say like a feminine and maybe you could say it's toxic feminine. Maybe that'd be a better way to categorize it. That where they wield like a, like a third party in the discussion and used femininity as a, as a, a ground for their argument or a reason or a basis for their argument or what they're trying to say. Okay. And so they, 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 they will, uh, and this often appeals to men. So the, the, like a woman will say something says like, Oh, you, you're, you're attacking me because I'm a woman or you're, you've offended me. And, and it'll, it'll be often not necessarily emotional, but it'll be the sort of thing of how dare you disagree with me, that, that sort of thing. Mm. And, in doing that, the other guy could be like, if it's, if it's just you and her alone, you're just like, I guess, well, I'm not going to get anywhere with this. Um, but if it's on places like Twitter or other places, the, the, the offense that, that, I mean, it could be a guy does this too, but generally it's women. The offense that she, uh, receives or expresses is then used, is then observed by often other men and women who then come to her aid against the person. So the right. other guy could be completely right. He, literally his argument could be a syllogism, you know, mm-hmm. boom, boom conclusion. But because something about that offended, offended her, right. instead of her having to respond by saying it's invalid or denying a premise, she could just express offense or, Oh, another guy's attacking me again or something like that. Sure. And you get all these other dudes coming in saying, you're a jerk, stop abusing. And the other women saying, you know, you go girl. And so you, you have, that's what I mean by kind of like feminized discourse. It's this third, gotcha. well, it's, it's kind of like third party is, and we talked about third party before, but yeah, right. it's this thing where, where you appeal to some, something outside of yourself as like the, the way to get at your opponent. So instead of the force of your ideas as yourself against another person, right? it's you appealing to these others, usually by emotion or some feminine aspect or feminacy, whatever it is. And then they come alongside you to, to kind of, uh, be accusatory towards her, her opponent. Yeah. It's Uh, a triangulation of, of the conflict and it's a way to try to build a coalition, uh, on your side. That's more focused on self-preservation rather than, uh, in our defense. And I think there there's connections here to the nature of men and women, right? Where women are by nature, God's design designed to give birth, to nurture, to do these kind of things. And men by design aren't hardwired for those particular activities. And I think there's certain uh, ways that, that those present themselves as we relate to other people. You can't flatten Christianity to some androgynous, uh, pursuit of holiness, there's going to be ways that particularly men and women cultivate holiness. And so when men particularly submit themselves to a feminized, whether you, there's, um, we could, we could probably parse out the difference between more of a feminist discourse and just a feminized discourse. That's just more feminine. But, uh, but when men do that, like this is why I see universities and seminaries scrapping debate because it, it pits two ideological opponents against one another and we should see who wins. And I'm like, this is great. We should do that. And, but seminaries have become so feminized that they're like, well, that's not helpful for building unity. It's divisive to have debate. And I'm like, this is so dumb. Yeah, 
but and it's it, it might it might be better to say to this just effeminate discourse because you see this with effeminate, people like yeah. Kyle, Kyle Howard. Yeah. Um, so it's just not just women, but it's often it's often like the like race hustlers to be honest. And so yeah. it's people like Kyle Howard and sometimes Anthony Bradley, um, and 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 in general this yeah. So the in, in very much like those uh, like the like those sorts of people plus plus a lot a lot of women will do this online. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's uh, uh, but I think for for women, the third this third party idea is I think it's ingrained in them, mm. nat somewhat natural because they're by nature kind of vulnerable because they're they're more dependent. Men are are by nature more independent. Uh, they can kind of they can kind of assert themselves as individual beings, kind of in the world, whereas women, because they're smaller and and um, less you know less muscular and. Uh, and almost don't don't really have a dominating disposition to them. I, they're they're going to depend. They're going to kind of cling to their their husband or their brothers or to their father as a as a as a support for them. So they're very dependent in that that regard. You know, generally speaking, nowadays they're less dependent because they have the modern state, or right. I should say, they are just as dependent. But now they rely on the modern state. That's uh, and that means you can or not, and also administrators and HR. So they still have the third parties. It's just not these natural formal or these natural relations. It's now these um, artificial bureaucratic relations that they, that they use as their, that they depend upon. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, so like just take the husband. So that one of the things is if a, a woman is kind of bound in a sense to her husband, that is as a wife, uh, she, she it's she uh would by i think often by nature would want these other intermediate authorities to kind of control him mm. and this this is actually pretty rational because if he's bigger than her he can physically harm her yeah so she would want the state she would maybe want the pat like pastors he can also get get away with you know philandering all like and so you have these different authorities that they can can then act as a third party to, in a sense, control his excesses that do her harm. Sure. That's all very understandable. But I think with that mindset, when you, when, when women enter debate, they can often, not always, but they can often have that same inclination, but use like the crowd as that third party that then beats down this oppressor. Mm. So, so that's, that's how I see a lot of feminine discourse. This is why I know that I know several people who they don't say this publicly, but they will say they don't engage women in uh, social media and debates mm. for this very reason, unless they know them well and they know they won't do this. Sure. And I also know women who don't like this as well. They, they, they hate that, that this happens. So, right. uh, I, so it's, uh, I, I think calling something masculine to feminize discourse, it, it kind of get, get, um, it's probably not the most precise thing to say, but there definitely are these tendencies, and I think effeminate discourse is probably the best. Like I said, and that's because it 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 reaches it reaches beyond just you know many many women it goes in these other sorts of contexts as well. Yeah, and it, the Bible talks about uh, men should act like men, and that effeminate men are bad. <laughs> you know, and I yeah we we tend to uh, to like I saw I see pastors all the time prefer other translations when they come up upon these upon these passages. But it's just kind of like it's right there, um, and so what, like the word soft. I mean, is it feminine or soft? What what else is? What other word? Is it, 
<laughs> they just totally scrap them in. Like they'll use a different translation altogether that just, you know, whether the message or whatever that just glosses over completely the mm-hmm. Greek, uh, which plainly says act like men. Um, yeah. my joke of course was that, uh, well, that's all, you know, the trans movement is just trying to embody the Bible, you know, they're just trying to act like men. So, uh, yeah. you know, we should, all I mean, the, one, one of the obvious examples, if people are thinking of examples, and I hate to, I hate to bring your name up because this always brings the very white knight people I'm talking about. Sure. Now, have I said white knight, white, white knight is that guy who shows up to defend the woman when she's offended. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you see this like with the, the Jesus and John Wayne book and, and, um, Dumez, who asked him to Dumez, mm-hmm. which the book itself is not that profound. I mean, I, I read it and I reviewed it. I, I didn't think it was anything special. I thought it um, wasn't, uh, I think it was very activist and ideologically oriented, but all that, I don't want to get and review that book, but it's very clear. I mean, the, 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 there was a, a really tame, but generally negative review by a guy. What's his name? John Wilson, maybe. Okay. His name. I forget his, I should know his name, John. Anyway. Um, and even then it was like, oh, what, you know, th- there was just, oh, I'm so sorry. Some guys show up on Twitter. I'm so sorry this is happening oh to you. God. And what a jerk. And what, why are the, why are these guys so obsessed with you? And, and, oh, they must want to date you or they, something like that, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and even though it was like the most, like I thought, I, I thought it was annoying because it was like placating. It was like walking around, on like uh, around eggshells. Yep. And it was, we know it's going to be, he, he knew he was entering what we're calling a feminine or feminine discourse. Yep. And he's like, he's trying uh, so he's hard. Just walking around and trying so hard, yep. but you know what? It didn't, it, no. Uh, when you, when you kind of stake your entire uh, academic intellectual life on this third party appeal yep. to these white knights and these others, uh, sympathetic uh, folks, it, every, every criticism is going to turn into that. Yep. And, uh, and, and unfortunately that's becoming even more, I mean, you saw this with, with some like, like evangelical women writing co- more feminist oriented, uh, books, mm-hmm. the same thing you criticize them. You say, this is that wrong. It's always like, woe is me. You guys are always attacking women and you're obsessed with this or that and, and you're toxic. And so it's, uh, whereas I, there's another podcast, um, I keep going on and on, but th- there was a podcast, um, I listened to of Carl Truman on his mortification of spin. Yeah. And, uh, this is back when Amy bird was still on, on that show. Nice. And he, it was like one of those moments where Truman was like, I just, I miss these days where like 10, 15 years ago, when we just talked about justification and we talked about scripture and we talked about these, these theological ideas where that was what, you know, and what he was saying is he 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 liked the era of let's call it masculine discourse, right? Or it's premise premise conclusion, and if you're going to criticize, you deny a premise, or you say it's invalid. Sure, you know another other argumentation, you know. So that like that's that's what it was about. Uh, and and I remember Amy Bird responded with something like, "Well, but all these all these things are very very important," or something like mm-hmm. that. And you know you know of course he just kept going, whatever. But um. But yeah, I mean, we've entered this era of like feminist discourse, feminist discourse, and and um, for, for men, it's very it's very difficult, very difficult. And I think that the whole social justice in general is very effeminate discourse. Mm. It's very much like this is not, not just like my truth, but it's that if you disagree, you're racist. Yeah. If you disagree, you're a bigot. If you disagree, you're you know whatever 
worse. Yeah, I think of this temptation even in the pulpit where pastors are tempted to adopt kind of a more effeminate intonation where the appeal, like rhetoric is is a very interesting topic when you're trying to win people, convince people, show people the truth. So like there, there's a rightful pathos. We should be able to appeal to people on a certain level. But if you're if your mode of discourse, your mode of preaching is effeminized where it's always kind of bringing in triangulation and you're trying to deal with conflict in the church and you're trying to do a lot of stuff in the sermon that really doesn't have a place there. Instead of winning souls for Christ, convincing them of the truth of God, uh, letting it rest heavy on them and preaching the mercy of Christ, it becomes this kind of like showmanship where we're either debating someone not in the room or we're adopting certain uh, just modes where, where we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're not, it's not very masculine. In fact, the idea that a pastor would just get up and have a very flat tone. I listened to like a Peter Lightheart sermon recently. It was pretty just like, you know, normal, just, this is what it is. This is what we believe. And in most evangelicalism, people would be like, that's boring, you know, or that's not inter whatever they would say. And I'm like, that makes me sad. Like that's, that to me is very acceptable and actually very refreshing because I don't feel manipulated as I go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's true. Yeah. I, I think, I think most people, yeah, that they, they don't even have that, that sense of manipulation. Right. They just feel like, Oh, it's worked up and amen. I can tweet it. Totally. Out and, uh, um, yeah. And we, we, yeah, we, we've, we've gone to the point. I mean, the, the traditionally there, you know, there's the, Logos, ethos, pathos type uh, uh, division in, in rhetoric, right. and we're on the side where where we've dumped logos out, yep. and now it's all about your credibility with the audience, which is often silly, has really silly criteria to establish, yep. or bad criteria. Yeah, and the uh, and then and then yeah, like you said, pathos, and 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 and, and even the nature of the the. the Pathos is very much like I said, the third party could bringing people alongside who are going to be accusatory and say, "Oh, you go, girl." Whatever. Yeah, and uh, those guys are jerks, and they're all they're jerks for Jesus, and they're Theo bros sure. and that kind of thing. So. That's funny. Well, Stephen, this was great. Thanks so much for uh, for hanging with me today. I really hope uh, we can get your book uh, to have a wide audience when it comes out. Do you have any uh, anticipated, or should we look for it next year? You think any idea? Uh. I'm hoping October, but I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, they, they haven't given us a, me a date yet. Okay, cool. Well, I'm hoping October. I'll try to add this to the show notes whenever it drops, uh, add a link to it. Um, cause I'm sure it'll be available soon. Um, if you want to follow Steven, you can go over to, uh, to follow him on Twitter, perf Just at perf Just. That's right. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, you can keep up with him that way, but he's doing a lot of great stuff. You can, so you can keep up with him. And then, um, yeah, if you're a subscriber or if you're not a subscriber, I should say you should subscribe, sign up, click the notification icon. Uh, we've got a small little band of, uh, happy warriors that are subscribed, interacting. And, uh, and I'd love for you to share this episode with a friend. Maybe you've got a friend who's totally captured by kind of this liberal, modern, secular approach to political engagement, share it with them. Uh, let us be the bad guys that break the news to them that they're they might be wrong, and then uh, and then you can have a conversation about it. So go buy them a beer and then you can talk to them about it later. But do that and then sign up on the Patreon. Any dollar amount helps. And until then, we will see you next time. 